In the book of 1 John, the Apostle John writes to us to remind believers of some really precious truths. He reminded them that he was an eyewitness of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He had seen the Lord Jesus Christ physically come in the flesh. He wrote these things because he wanted them to have full joy, even in a messy world. I want you to think for just a little bit about this idea of full joy. That's a really big thought, what it means to have full joy. You know, we experience snippets of joy in many different ways. Things we hear sometimes bring joy to us. Sometimes things that we see bring joy to us. Sometimes things that we learn about bring joy to us. Things we experience. It was a lot of fun becoming a grandpa. Sometimes purchases that we make bring us joy. Relationships bring us joy. Life events bring us joy. But John says, I'm reading, I'm writing to you so that you could have full joy. We're having a hard time connecting to that. We have a hard time thinking about what full joy is. As an eighth grader, full joy, I thought, was a shotgun. There wasn't a whole lot else on my agenda. And hitting more of the little play discs that I would throw in the air. But you know, that wasn't full joy. That was snippet joy, but it wasn't full joy. My joy tanked when I tripped and scuffed the stock on my gun when I'd been so careful with it. It didn't give lasting joy. And the thing is, John is telling us this morning, there are lots of things that bring us snippets of joy. And you know, when you experience those things, those are things that remind you of how good God is. Because God wants you to have full joy. And today, you're not experiencing full joy, or it's possible that you're not experiencing full joy. And therefore, John says, I'm going to write all of this unto you, things that I saw, things that I heard, things that I investigated, things that I handled, that I actually experienced, of the word of life. He said, I wrote all these things unto you so that you could have full joy. And we've spent several weeks as we memorized 1 John 1, and we spent several weeks as we have talked about 1 John 1 and 2, and the key there that he was wanting us to focus on was fellowship. The incredible full joy of having fellowship with God. And I want us to think about that for just a moment, because again, sadly, pastors have not done a good job in this. Sadly, we have bought into the lie of Satan, and that is, okay, I guess I have to get saved because I don't want to go to hell, but I'm really missing out on a lot of stuff because I'm a Christian. Well, okay, yeah, I'm a Christian. In fact, we kind of practice our sad faces because really to be a good Christian, you can't be happy, right? Because of all the stuff you know you're missing out on. You say, you're, you're just teasing us. Well, I am, but am I? Am I really teasing you? Isn't that what Satan does? He comes and he says, look, if you could just do what everyone else is doing, you'd be happy. But I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm even a good Christian, so I don't do those things anymore. 
And we've missed the whole point. The whole point is, John says, you can have full joy. And we're, we kind of have that deer in the headlights look because we don't know what full joy looks like anymore. We think church looks sad. We think church looks oppressive. We think we have been cut out. But I want to encourage you this morning to really think about what John is saying. John's saying, I'm writing all this so that you can have full joy. And he said, now here's the message I want you to get. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. You say, Pastor, I've heard you say that. I know, and it's really important that we get this because real fellowship can only take place in full light. Darkness is discouraging. We talk about cabin fever during the winter. Some of you even make the southern trek like the birds to be able to get a little sunshine, come back with a little tan and make everyone envious so that you can kind of get through this cabin fever. Some people have this really strong problem when they're not around light and every day they spend time in with light boxes in their homes, which helps give them a positive perspective on life. What I would like to encourage you is this, God is light. God is the one who totally revolutionizes our life. God is the one who brings full joy and you can have fellowship with God. And John, as I've mentioned to you, John kind of flies around the airport. He's going to do circles. You're going to hear the same things and he's going to talk about something else. We're going to fly around the same area again. If you read things in John and you say, I've heard that before. Good for you. You got it. Paul does the methodical A, B, Subpoint one, subpoint, subpoint A. He goes through this and gives you this legal treatise. John is, is giving you this family room discussion. And John says, you can have fellowship with God and you can have full joy, but you need to remember something. In God, there's no darkness. No darkness at all. Not one little bit of darkness. Not one lie, not one deception, not one bad thing is in God. James tells us, and we find this all through the scriptures, James says, oh, every good gift and every perfect gift is from God. You find anything that's good and perfect and not tainted by sin, it came from God. The more wonderful a marriage can be, just as a reflection of how good the relationship with God can be. I'll never be a perfect husband because I'm a sinner. I'm a saved sinner, but I'm still a sinner. So we'll never have a perfect marriage. But in God, there is no darkness at all. And I've started with this whole thing this morning because I am very concerned. Satan is a liar, is a liar, is a liar. You need to remember this. Satan's a liar. So when he tells you this is going to be more fun, do it this way, it always has some kind of poison in it. Started with Eve. He said, Eve, God's holding out on you. God's not really good. God really doesn't have your best in mind when he said, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Satan said, see, see, God's not good. I knew it, now you knew it. God was good. And God demonstrated his love by what he did for Adam and Eve. Now, we focus, remember, in chapter 1, he just talks about, here's how you can have fellowship. He says, God is light. There's no darkness in him. But if we say that we've never sinned, we're lying. We're deceiving ourselves. 
And he says, but if we will agree with God, he's always faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us so that we can change. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his truth is not in us. And then we come to chapter 2, verse 1, and what does he start with? He says, I wrote these things so that you sin not. That wasn't one of these things. That was a, you don't have to sin. Real joy doesn't come in sinning. Then he begins describing the changes that have taken place in relationship, in fellowship with God. And he talks about the importance of doing his commandments. He talks about the importance of loving other Christians. And then, remember, we looked at verses, well, he paused in verses 12 through 14. And he says, now let me remind you, before you're feeling this pressure again, he said, let me just remind you, you're God's children. You're part of God's family. You are Christians. Therefore, and then he jumps back in at verses 15 through 17, and he says, therefore, don't love the world's philosophy. The things that the world promotes. Because it's going to hurt your fellowship with God, and God is light, and your joy won't be full. The little piece that often we miss when we hear in church is, we get this, but we miss the reason why. The reason why you don't want this is because it's going to steal your full joy. Oh, you'll still have bits and pieces of joy because God is so good. He still sends rain. He still sends all these blessings on the just and on the unjust. God is good. If there's anything I could just repeat and repeat and repeat that I wish everyone in this community would understand, God is good. God is not in any way darkness. God does not have anything that would be not best. So, knowing all of that, We come back to our text this morning, and I need to see where I am, actually. I have no idea. Um, I was thinking yesterday, I don't know, yesterday morning, if any of you saw the incredible sunrise. I don't know if any of you noticed. It was, it was so beautiful. Um, Friday mornings was incredible. Oh, beautiful, incredibly red sky. And you just look at the majesty of it, you know, God is the one who created all the beautiful sunsets. Anything good comes from God. God's the one who put the splendor of the rainbow yesterday. We were having a big block party in our community, and I loved hearing all the kids. After it went from being normal temperature, temperature plummeted, and the rains came for three minutes, four minutes. And then this beautiful full rainbow popped out. Hopefully, most of you saw it. If you didn't, you missed a beautiful piece of artwork. And the little children came out, came running back out of the house, and everyone's yelling, look at the rainbow, look at the rainbow. And I wanted to say, do you know why that rainbow is there? That rainbow is there because that's God's promise, and he's never, never going to break his promise. He will never flood the entire world again. That's God's promise. You can take it to the bank. And every time it rains, he puts that bow up there so that we never forget. Wow, what a good God. God is the one who designed the majesty of the mountains and the color of the flowers and the wonder and the companionship of marriage. God tells us how we should establish our marriages so that it can be good. 
That's why we're just going to spend a couple of weeks on Sunday evenings, those of you who want to come. We're just going to talk about what God designed and how good this is. And if we just do it God's way, how wonderful it would be. Now, I still bring baggage into it because I refer back to point A. I'm, I'm a sinner. But the more that I do it like God says, the better it can be. God is good, and everything he gives is good. And John describes the joy that springs from the source Talking about fellowship with God, Garden of Eden kind of fellowship. But our fellowship with God today comes with the same conditions and maintenance that it came with in Genesis. Here's what I mean by that. God hasn't changed. If you want to have fellowship with God, God because he's holy, he can't just say, I see what you did, it's okay. We think, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I've just got this area in my life that I know is bad, but I really like that bad area in my life, and we've forgotten that God's holy. He can't do that. God can't do sin. And God can't overlook sin, so he can't just pretend that it's not there. So what happens, though God has not left, we, because of what we have done, we've pushed God away. That's the reason why when you hear in church, and they say, you know, you need to be holy. You need to stop sinning. You need to put that away from you. Don't let that be a part of you. Don't think that they're doing the shamey thing to you. Understand what pastors ought to be telling you, and what we mean to be telling you is, this is the best way to go. I don't get it right all the time. Pretty certain you don't get it right all the time either. But the more we get it right, the more joy there's going to be. So we find in chapters 1 and 2, he says, this is how you can have fellowship with God. Through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 1 tells us that. And then he says, now that you're a Christian, you want to live differently. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes, Every appeal for conduct and good living and behavior is made in terms of our new position with God. The Bible never asks us to do anything without reminding us first all of who we are. The New Testament is not interested in the conduct of people who are not Christians. It has nothing to tell them except that they are destined for hell and for perdition. They must repent, and, and until they repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not interested in their behavior. I'm not here today to try to tell you, if you'll just change your life, things will be so much better. I'm here to tell you, you need Jesus Christ. And when you begin to recognize the lie of Satan, and you recognize the goodness of God, you begin to recognize... Oh, that sin stuff, that's hurting me. That's not helping me. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't do the sin things because we are slaves to sin, but there is a repentance. There's a change of mind about who God is and about what's really good, that sin is bad. And then it takes a change of mind that I can't get to heaven on my own. I'm never going to be good enough to get to heaven. It takes the precious blood of Jesus Christ because I'm a sinner, 
And I can't have access to God. I can't go to heaven because I would ruin heaven. Because God is holy. I've not told you anything new, but I'm sure hoping I'm helping you stand and look at this a little differently than the way often we look at it. Often when we think about sin, we think of us. And the focus is always on us. And I want your focus to be on God. And when we focus on God, it makes it so much easier for us just to say, yes, this is what I want. Now, he ends chapter 2, if you would look with me at verses 28 and 29. He says, and now, little children, abide in him. Key word there, abide in him. And this is a transitional two sentence, two verses, okay? We're transitioning. He's going to teach us the next point. He's been talking about having fellowship with God. He says, and now, little children, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Notice how that sentence reads. Doesn't that read backwards to what you would expect? Look at it with me, the end of verse 29. And ye know that he is righteous. If ye know that he is righteous, since ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. You would think it would say everyone that is born of him is righteous, wouldn't you? But that's not what he says. What he tells us is, he says, you know the way you can tell? When you look at someone, you can tell if they're a believer? is by what they love. So now we come to verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Let's look and see, first of all, what we are, because he's transitioned and he said, you can have full joy in fellowship. And now you know what he says? You can have full joy because you're family. He makes this transition from talking about fellowship in chapters 1 and 2, and now he's going to talk about family relationships, and he's going to do this same thing again. He's going to talk about, because you're family, what you want to avoid, what would steal your joy. Look with me in verse 1, and really, just so you don't get nervous, we're not going to cover verses 1 through 10 this morning. We're not even going to cover verses 1 through 3. I think we're just going to cover verse 1, okay? He says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. The first thing I want you to notice is, what are we? Children of God. Let that settle in for a moment. Children of God. It's a unique relationship that he's describing. It has the idea of being related to the parent like no one else. You know, really the only ones in this world that can call me Father Felber are our four children. All right? No one else can call me Father Felber. Why? Because... I have a unique relationship with them. Now, you can call me your pastor because the scripture describes my office as a pastor. You could call me elder 
although sometimes that's connected with another religious group, and so then they get a little confused. You could call me Bishop, Albert, because that all three of those terms relate to the office that I hold. But Father? No. I've been texting with my children this morning, and what a joy that is for me. As they're preaching, as they're teaching today, as they're going to worship this morning. But you see, that's a very unique relationship that's different. We have fellowship, but you, I am not your father. But notice what he says, begin, middle of verse 3, what are we? Children of God, a unique relationship. It's a special relationship that we come into. This special relationship of sonship to God as a result of the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this is different from the creation relationship. You say, well, we're all, we have the universal brotherhood. We have this universal family because we're all humans. That's true, but that's not what God is describing here. Remember what Jesus himself said in John 8, 44. Ye are of your father, the devil. <coughs> oh, well, now we know there are two families, I guess. You've got God's family and you have Satan's family family, and though we are all humans here this morning, that doesn't mean we're all the same family. Jesus differentiates between the children of God and the children of the devil. John 17, 3, he says, and I give unto them eternal life that they may know thee and Jesus Christ whom, they ha whom thou hast sent. This unique relationship but I want to I now have you to think about something that probably you may have to reset the breakers once or twice when I, when I mention this because it's probably just going to blow the breakers. You have now a unique nature in Jesus Christ. And this is the difference between a son and a child. King James Version is a wonderful translation, but it is a translation, okay? We just need to understand the Bible was given to us in a foreign language to us, and so that we can all read it and understand it, it's been translated for us. It's a wonderful translation, but we do have to be humble enough to say it is a translation. The word here, son, is the word technon. It's not the word weos, which would be son, it's the word for child. And that's a really important distinction this morning because notice what he's telling us. He's saying that we should be called the children of God. You say, why is that so important? Because sonship focuses on the legal external documents. A child focuses on the internal relational aspect, the common nature that we have together. Child focuses on that which is derived from, shares the nature and the blood of the parent. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 4 says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. 
That's the wonder he begins to present to us in chapter 3, verse 1, when he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. He's saying, you have a part of me in you now. That was such a wonderful thought as I was just thinking about that this week. As God's child, you now have part of your Father in you. In John chapter 15, it states this way, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. What comes from, the, from God, what comes from the vine flows into the branch, and that gives the branch now the characteristics of the vine. That's what Peter's talking about. That's what John's talking about. Now notice with me as we go on. So, we see this unique relationship and this unique nature we have because of what we are. We are children of God. But now look also as how are we the children of God? What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. How are we the sons, the children of God? Because the Father bestowed it on us, placed it in us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. What what love the Father has shown to us. Let me read it because my mind is, I'm not going to quote it accurately. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8, you could probably all quote it, but right now I can't. Romans 5, 8, we read, but God commendeth his love toward us. Now what was that talking about? God displayed, God showcased his love toward us. God put it on display so that you could see his love. It's like he just turned on all the lights and shined them on the storefront and said, look, this is how much God loves you. Look in the window. You can see God's love. But that's not what he said here. He said, look at God's love that he bestowed upon you. You see, God placed that in us. He implanted it. He infused that in us. And notice he says, and I'm going to draw your attention to one word. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that. If you could kind of, if, if you want to put that word on some vitamin supplements, it really means in order that. Now follow. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us in order that we could be called the sons of God. God placed his nature in us so that we could be the children of God. He places his nature in us and we become his children. The offspring is like the parentage. The children are like the parent. God makes us like that. 
The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which he's given to us. God's placed this in us. Why am I spending so much time on this? Because I want you to see the hope this morning that you have. You have the very nature of your Heavenly Father that's been planted in you. And because of that, now you're going to look like your Father. I maybe sometimes feel bad for my kids because they look like me, but as a parent, it's really fun to have someone in the world that is kind of like me. No one else may get my humor. My kids get my humor. It's scary. My kids think like my wife when it comes to different things. Why? Because they're our kids. You don't have to worry about it. I don't think genetics rub off. But they are like that. What a joy this is. And you know what? You have in you, it was bestowed in you in order that people would see that you are the children of God. If you feel a little happiness coming into your feet, there ought to be some happiness going on there. Why? Because of what God did. Now understand something. Who are we? Notice the last part of that verse. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. When Jesus came to the earth, what did they mistake Jesus as? Well, he's the son of a carpenter. He's just from Galilee. He's just a plain old person. Maybe he's a rabbi. Maybe a prophet. Did they recognize that Jesus was the Messiah? The answer is no. Why? Because they could not see his nature. See what John says? They didn't recognize Jesus, so don't be surprised if they don't recognize you. Oh, so you're one of those people that claims to be a child of God. Right, what makes you look like a child of God? What makes you a child of God? And they don't recognize it because they aren't God's children. You have what you have, but it's not something that you can look by a mark by some kind of physical resemblance. He says, don't be upset. They didn't recognize Jesus either. Although interesting, Christians recognize Christians. Do you ever find yourself as you're walking through any public venue and all of a sudden you go, huh, I wonder if that's a Christian. You ever have that happen? Please nod your head. I'm not the only, I'm not the only odd person, am I? Why, and why is that? Because we have something in common. It's a wonderful thing. How can this be? Behold what manner of love. Literally, it's not a question mark. It's an exclamation point. Behold what kind of love, what quality of love, behold what great love this is, the freeness of it. Do you know, I don't, I don't feel any bondage to keep God's love. Because I had nothing to do with it. And you had nothing to do with God's love. God's love 
came apart from us. It's an eternal love. It is of his character, which is what gives salvation such a wonderful, restful truth. You don't have to earn your way to heaven. You don't have to do something to make God like you. And you don't have to keep doing things so that God will keep you. What he's telling us is, before I get into what a family member should look like, I want to remind you how you became family. It was a gift of God. Totally changes the way you look at the things God tells you. It's no longer this, it's this. Let me tell you what the family looks like. Let me tell you what the family's like because of what it can do. You can have full joy because you're part of the family. So that last thing that I want you to focus on is behold, what kind of love, what great love, what manner of love is this? It's so free in my own unworthiness, in my filthiness, God loved me. Notice the focus is not only forgiven, but what he has given to us. God not only forgave my sins, he forgave me, but then he gave me of himself. Is that making sense? It's one thing to be forgiven. He's not going to hold me accountable for that anymore. But then he gave me of himself. Wow. What a relationship that is. What incredible cost. For me, a dirty little street urchin. Not literally, I was blessed. I grew up in a home where parents loved me, but in God's sight, I was a dirty urchin. I had nothing to offer. Jesus came into this world. God. God came into this world. Not because he didn't know what it was like, and not because he hadn't been here before. He had walked here before with Adam and Eve. He walked here with Abraham. But this time, he came as a person. He suffered shame so that I could be family and so that you could be family. You see, the Son of God became a Son of Man. so that the Son of Men could become the Son of God. 